welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Most people struggle with loneliness at various times throughout their lives. Some people struggle with loneliness every day, and many keep their loneliness a secret. My guest today, spiritual director and author Charlotte Donlin, discovered the more curious she's become about her own loneliness, the more she reads about it, and the more she writes about it, the less severe it becomes. She's the author of a book called The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other. She believes that loneliness loses some of its power when we bring it into the light. So she writes about it and talks about it and looks at the different angles of loneliness and belonging and how they intersect with the Christian faith. The more curious she's become about her own loneliness, the less severe it seems. So I welcome you to join us as we explore the various aspects of loneliness and belonging that will give us hope. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, maybe back up a little bit and tell me, um, you know, what, what prompted you to write the book? Like what, what maybe experiences would you be willing to share that happened in your own life that, um, you know, in some of those stories, you know, I listened to uh, your podcast a little bit, um, and some of the stories that resonated with me were the Halloween story, mm-hmm. um, and you know, feeling feeling that loneliness um, as a young mom, which I I run a lot of uh, young moms women's groups, um, and I definitely hadn't. I knew that they were lonely, but I hadn't really put that name to it. I knew that that holding space for these women was was so healing. And I know that it was for me. I mean, it's how I got into group ministry was um, when my kids were, well, actually my oldest was a baby. I joined a women's group at my church and I was like, where's everybody else? Why aren't they here? It's a little different in the North, I, I think. And maybe that's just my assumption. Um, it's a little different here. I think church, maybe where you are in the South, and maybe this is an assumption that I'm making is, is, a little more of a regular in people's lives than it is here anymore. Um, uh, and I don't know if you agree with that, but. Yes, definitely. I mean, there's definitely a cultural kind of um, normalization of church and church community and church life, um, which is good. And it can also be difficult because, um, you know, it can, it can be only cultural, you know, <laughs> without um, much of a depth of um, actual faith yeah. happening. So, yeah. and I've seen, I've seen that too, but I, I think for, from a personal level, I have found it enviable for my Southern, from my Southern friends is that it's part of, it's, it's part of woven into their everyday life where here I was, that's why I was looking around thinking, well, where are all the other young moms? Like, this is exactly what I need right now. Because after listening to your podcast and reading your book, I was like, I was lonely. And I used to yeah. tell this funny story about, um, I would wait for my husband to come home from work when I had our first. 
And he's one of those people that'll say, I'll be home at six, but he really comes home at eight. <laughs> I caught on to that really fast, but I said, I used to be at the window, like a little puppy. And every car that went by, I was waiting. I was, oh, that'll be him. And by the time, you know, he got home, I, I had already eaten. And, and, and so we, we worked that out over the years, but, um, but I was lonely and yeah. finding connection with other women at my church really was a saving grace for me. And then I ended up, you know, taking over and leading those groups and going back to school and getting educated. And so it's a real passion of mine, but I really didn't, I hadn't named it until I read your book that loneliness was at the core of some of those feelings that a lot of the women are having being sucked out of like your work life or your career and getting your report card for it to, to being at home. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to that. Um, when I was a young mom and even before we had our first child, we were a part of a church plant um, and I worked for the church and as one of the only employees, I had a lot of responsibilities, including um, helping coordinate the community groups, the small groups and helping with the women's ministry. So I, um, you know, I was very drawn to the idea of Christian community and what does it look like to be in community with each other? and you know, I, I was drawn to all of these things that were um, like uh, a cure for loneliness without knowing loneliness was what was happening um, because I didn't have a language for it either at that point. Um, and I also, um, you know, met with a lot of women during that season and, um, you know, just for coffee or lunch or whatever. And, and everyone felt left out mm. I think is how they said it like everyone else is um hanging out with each other and and I'm not like no one is pursuing me and no one is initiating toward me and I said you know everyone is telling me that like you have to just pretend that you always have to be the one initiating or you know not even pretend like you need to always be the one initiating because we all feel like no one's initiating toward us and I, again, I think a sense of loneliness can make us feel um, like everyone else is hanging out without us, mm -hmm. even if that's not the case. Yeah. Because I think we can feel lonely in other ways, but those are the only words we have to put around it. Yeah. Um, so I think at that church, you know, the small groups actually flourished. It was a, you know, it, I think they probably still are. We're not at that church anymore. Um, and the women, you know, tried to pursue each other and some really great relationships were built and we had a wonderful sense of community at that church. Um, it exploded several years later when, um, the pastor had an affair with an elder's wife. So that was difficult and, um, you know, had its own sort of loneliness associated with it. Like the, the loneliness of spiritual, um, grief and trauma, um, is difficult. Um, so yeah, I have been lonely my whole life, but I did not put words around it until I started writing this book. Um, I had one situation, um, with a publisher. I sent a book proposal to him and he was very excited about it. He loved the idea. It was a little different. It wasn't a typical book, um, especially, especially for a Christian publisher. Um, so he took it to his acquisitions team 
meeting or whatever they call it. And he said they argued about it. Um, and the answer was no. And, and I, I was okay with the rejection. I had been rejected before with a book proposal, but he said something along the lines of, we don't know what to do with you. You don't, you know, you don't fit into the Christian publishing box and, um, it made me feel like there was no space for me, um, or my words or my work or, you know, me as a person even, or me as a Christian, because I knew my work was too spiritual for, you know, the mainstream publishing industry. And so, you know, I'm a Christian and I write about my faith, but you know, the Christian publishing industry doesn't have room for me. So I was talking to my spiritual director about all of this, um, in a session, you know, a few days after he had told me that. And I said, you know, I think it makes me feel really alone. You know how spiritual directors ask us questions to help us process and discern what God's doing in our lives. And, and when I said it makes me feel alone, I, I realized that is how I have felt my whole life. Mm. And, um, you know, listeners, may think, oh, you don't have any friends or whatever. And that's not it at all. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of great relationships. Um, I have an intimate relationship with God, but there are all of these other kinds of loneliness um, that I explore in the book. And I don't even think I explore all of them in the book um, that have been a part of my life and woven into my life from um, when I was a young child. Yeah, and I think that that resonates, um, I would imagine, with a lot of people. Um, and, and everything that you just said about, about young moms and, and all of that, and people sitting there telling you they feel like they're being excluded or left out. I've had, and I have a spiritual direction practice, and I've had so many young moms sit in my office and cry about that, that they feel like things are happening all around them and they're not being included. Um, and I actually just did a podcast on, you know, the fabric of friendship because there's, you know, three different types of, of friends. And I think those high buy friends can make you feel lonely and left out um, and the importance of surrounding yourself with good people. You quoted someone saying in the book that there's something that you can do. And I, and I think it, it was along the lines of, um, um, you know, you should be the type of friend to others that you yes you talk a little bit about that yes um it was dr james houston and i think i think it's pronounced houston instead of houston um he was given a talk here in birmingham he's a theologian and author um and uh attended a couple of talks he gave and i went up to him um in between sessions and I told him that, um, that I wanted better friendships or something along those lines. And again, I was lonely and I had more meaningful connection with people, but I didn't know how to say it that way. And, um, and he sensed my sadness immediately. Like he looked at, like, I felt like he could see through me, <laughs> see through my eyes into my soul. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of person he is. And, um, he said, you know, you, you need to be to other people um, what you long for others to be for you. Um, 
or something along those lines. I don't have the exact words. I think I might have the exact words written in a journal, but basically I, I began to, to really consider what that would look like. You know, if I'm um, having difficulties as a young mom and wishing someone would <laughs> say, how are you doing? Isn't motherhood hard? Um, which when I was a young mom, no one said that. I mean, a few people eventually came into my life who were honest about the difficulties of motherhood, but um, it, it was a while before I met people who, um, who were honest about hardship and difficulties. Just in my own Christian journey, I was surrounded by people, lovely, wonderful people, but you know, we we were focusing on the good, the good, happy things. Um, and so when my friends started having babies, I would, you know, take a meal and are you doing you know is it difficult are you you know saying and they their eyes would get big like yes it's so hard I'm so tired <laughs> like you're the first person who's who said this to me and I you know this was you know 18 years ago I think moms now are mostly that I see around are or more comfortable talking about the hard parts of motherhood um I mean and that's just one example of you know, what, what can I offer to others that I wish people offered to me? Yeah. And it does help. I mean, it doesn't take away the longing for more, but it does fill that space in a kind of mysterious way, you know? Um, well, there's and a, I, a, a sense of um, vulnerability. Um, and I feel it, you know, uh, sometimes when I share too much, there's a certain sense of vulnerability if you test out the waters um, with people to say, oh, I'm feeling this way. Um, and I do think people are more comfortable with it, but you have to be in a certain mindset to be able to feel vulnerable enough to share it. And I remember there was a mom near me when the kids were little and I would say like she was my fun friend and anytime I tried to share any type of vulnerability of like, oh, wow, I'm feeling really overwhelmed or this is a lot, um, you know, I don't have family here and I, I'm, I'm, you know, feeling lonely and I, again, I didn't have words for it then, but that's exactly how I was feeling, but she was, she didn't want to hear it. She was like, oh, got, gotta go, gotta go. I have to pick my husband up. And, and so I, I came to understand that different friends could hold different things for me. And she was my fun friend. And, and I finally labeled her as that and didn't expect more because if I did, I would set myself up for the letdown and the disappointment. And I, I would eventually would push her away. Um, and I didn't because I was able to catch myself, um, which makes me think of another thing that you said. You said two things where people said something to you and you were able to receive it. And I think that's a big uh, moment um, of spiritual growth because your spiritual director asked you a question and you were able to learn, finally name, oh, it's loneliness. I've been lonely my whole life. And that was a pivotal moment, I think, for you. Um, and same with, with this speaker, this theologian that came and spoke when you say he saw right into you. I've had those experiences. You almost have to blink because it's like, it's almost like a, somebody has a bright light on you. Um, yeah, yeah. And, but, but you received it too at a second time. So I think that um, 
maybe those were pivotal moments into leading you into into writing about this. Um, and I think it'll be helpful for for a lot of people. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. So um, I you have it broken down into different parts in the book, um, belonging to ourselves, belonging to each other. Um, and tell me a little bit about belonging to ourselves, um, if you wouldn't mind. Like, I love that German word that you use, but I'm not going to try to say it. I'm going to let you say it. Do you want to tell that story? Oh, goodness. I don't even know if I should probably practice that word more before I try to say it out loud. The, you mean the chapter about um, when our mother's seven. souls yeah. have left us? Yeah. Um, yeah, so... The German word, I'm going to try to say it, is Mutterselig allein, which means, um, I don't know the direct translation, but it's, it's basically a, a, a phrase in German that means when your mother's soul has left you. And it's the mo most alone you can feel. Um, and... I found that word in a um, very old um, translation of a Grimm's fairy tale. Um, and it just took me down this trail of thinking about what it means to be that alone, you know, and how, um, how sad to feel so alone that even your mother's soul has left you. Um, so I do like that chapter. I hope other people like it. Um, but with regard to belonging to ourselves, um, and first I want to start off with saying that, you know, belonging to ourselves, to God and to others really is entwined. And I do think our belongingness to God, the ways we belong to God are um, like the foundation of all of our other belongings. Um, as a Christian, that's my, my belief. And, um, but I start with belonging to ourselves in the book, because that was more of my journey was learning, um, who I am. It's, you know, I look at my kids and they seem to know a lot more who they are, even as, you know, high schoolers than, I did. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I, um, I don't think I knew who I was really till I was in my thirties. Mm. And, um, so that was just a journey of learning, you know, how do I belong to myself? What does it mean to belong to myself and know who I am and know who I am in light of who God has made me to be. And in light of my, um, you know, my mental illness, um, that I live with. I live with bipolar disorder and in light of, you know, my grid that has formed throughout my life with relationships and um, wounds and joys and, um, you know, the things that delight me and that cause me pain and um, just, I guess, the fabric of, of who I am. And, um, I think starting with that approach of how do I belong to myself just seemed like a more natural space for me. And it, and in my journey with God, I think that's how I um, came to know that I belong to God, even though I belonged to God before I knew it, you know? Um, so 
Yeah, I think belonging to ourselves can have a lot of different definitions. Um, but for me, I think it's just being aware, like self-aware and paying attention and being curious about, um, you know, the different longings and fears and anxieties and, um, you know, things like that. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that it goes back to that pivotal moment you had with your spiritual director when you were open to receiving that because you were being open to belonging to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we show up and do that work, that's why I think spiritual work is so important. Um, you know, we all approach it or come to it with, with, with different backgrounds and, and, you know, we're all at different places in our lives, but if we're open to the receiving of, you know, companioning with others and to doing the work, on ourselves, I think that um, that you know we come to understand what those things are and aren't you know that we need for for our for our own beings. I, mean, I think yeah. it was I think it was Henry Nowen who once wrote about um, we grow best in two ways, um, you know, in solitude and in community. Yeah, and I think yeah. that in the solitude, you know, <clears throat> might lead into that belonging to ourselves. Definitely. That's, that's where I go off and, you know, come to understand how I react to certain things and what my triggers are. And, um, and then I'm better able to be in the world. Um, and be a better yeah. yeah. And I, I also think that being curious helps me belong to myself. Well, and to others and to God, <laughs> because it helps me kind of, um, ask questions and, um, uh, it's not as an emotional thing for me when I kind of shift into being curious. Does that make sense? Like I'm able to observe and ask questions and kind of think about different things or maybe look up a scripture that might, I become more of a researcher in a way. And um, not that I'm separating from my emotions, but I'm able to be um, more of an objective a participant. And when I do that, I learn so much more about myself and reality and where God's present in my life and in my relationships. And um, I think, so I just think being curious is a component of that, mm. of belonging to myself, which also feeds into belonging to others and belonging to God. Do you find that when you start to get curious and do that research that you find exactly what you needed? Yes. And I don't know what it is I needed. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's this kind of weaving trail that leads me to a place that, um, or multiple places, you know, sometimes I learn a few different things. Um, and you know, I believe the spirit is with us in those kind of, um, journeys toward finding, you know, understanding, and um, it's also kind of how I write. So when I start a new essay, I will start with an idea and then it's more of this curiosity journey thing that takes me through the essay to the end that I had no idea existed until I got there, you know? <laughs> and not all writers write that way. They have outlines and things, but um, that's usually how my writing process works, which is also kind of interesting. 
you know, I that maybe that's why your writing resonates with me because I think I have the same thought process. I'm not an outline person. It's sort of really <laughs> fluid and and yeah, and I think that that's how you found you know when your mother's soul has left you because you started on this on this journey of researching and and. Um, yeah, and so there's a lot of interesting things in your book like that because you've started to dig around and and your curiosity led you. But you know, would you um, say that maybe God or the Spirit led you? Definitely. Um, yeah, I you know my view of God and God's presence and in everything, um, and that would mean God's present in my writing um like the overall vocation of writing but also in the moment by moment like process of writing um which is why i love um revision because you know my i'm not let's say i write start an essay today and then i come back to it in two days you know, two days from now, I'm a different person. I've had different experiences. I've had different prayers. God has shown me different things. And then, so I'm bringing this new person to another encounter with God in these words that I've written. And um, I don't mean for it to sound all super spiritual and kind of woo-woo because I, that's not how it is for me. It's very real and um, kind of normal for this to be my writing process and to consider it you know, kind of a partnership with the spirit and um, to be open, you know, I'll be writing and just a word will come to mind out of nowhere. And maybe it's the Holy Spirit, maybe it's not, but it feels like it's coming from outside of me sometimes, or um, even a sentence like that I know needs to end a certain paragraph. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, and so, so how do you trust that? So I, I actually operate that way too. And I um, actually perform spiritual direction in that way. I really have come mm -hmm. to a place where I, tr I trust what I'm hearing. And when I don't, I feel like my ego is getting in the way for, for me personally. And so I trust what I am hearing and, and more and more. And I, I feel like it's the spirit and um, I, I'm, it's usually not wrong, let's just right, say. Right, right. And, you know, I've been practicing spiritual direction for about a year. And um, with my client, I call them clients. It's just an easier word for me than directees for some reason. I feel like people understand what a client is more than a directee. Um, I have that same thing. You know, we're praying while we're listening and we're, open to God speaking to us while we're listening to our clients and making space for them to notice how God's at work in their lives. And, um, yeah, I, it, like during a spiritual direction session, I can tell like, Oh goodness, you know, I need to ask this question. Like yeah. God has given me this question to ask this person about this specific thing. And, um, you know, I don't know if I've ever, and I don't mean to like brag or whatever, but I don't think any clients ever said, you know, that really makes no sense to me at all. And I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, it's usually um, very connected to what they're experiencing or thinking, or it is helpful in taking them deeper into 
um, the direction they're going yeah. or it helps shed some kind of light on well, and I, you know, I try hard to ask questions mostly um, in spiritual direction, even if I think I know what's going on. Um, I do, you know, I want to take my ego out of it as much as possible so that, you know, it's between them and God and not me and them. Um, and then with writing, I think it is kind of a similar experience, except there's not as much um, at risk. You know, there's not another human. <laughs> that I'm having to, you know, pray for in the, although I do, you know, I take that back. Like I do pray for my readers and, um, while I'm writing and before I'm writing. And, um, so I don't know. I mean, it's very, there is a lot of mystery with it and I don't know if I can explain it all, but, and I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't say, Oh, every word I write is God breathed. I would never say that. I hope no one thinks that I'm saying that. Um, I just think that God is present in our lives in ways that affect our work. And my work is writing. Um, some of my work is writing just like God, um, you know, speaks to me with parenting decisions or situations. And, um, you know, it's the same kind of thing. And, you know, again, revision is my friend. So, you know, I may, may think that, something is supposed to go in a particular direction. And then with, you know, time and, uh, you know, a few days or a few weeks um, of space to let things rest and settle and come back to it, you know, I, it may end up being, you know, needing to go in another direction that I didn't even know about yeah. three days or three weeks before. So. You know, what's interesting is I, interviewed yesterday a, um, a uh, famous uh, oil painting artist. And the parallels between how you work and how he works, the spirituality of it is very, very similar. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's just, just interesting. It kind of just struck me um, that your creativity with your writing is very similar to his with his painting um that there's something in it that um i asked him why he gets up in the morning to, to paint mm -hmm. every day and he was like wow I, I don't know um but i think we all know why and i would ask you the same question like what wake what gets you up in the morning to start writing what does it do for you yeah it makes me um feel like more of who god made me to be mm. I feel like more of myself while I'm writing. I feel like more of myself when I'm practicing spiritual direction also. Um, those are the two things, um, you know, even motherhood, <laughs> you know, I love my kids. I love being a mom, but, and there are times where I feel like, oh, okay, God, you're in this and this is who I am in my core heart. But um, I feel it more with writing and spiritual direction. And again, like the things I do with writing and spiritual direction are also things I do with my children and with others in my life. So it's not that separated, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember who originally said I write because I can't not write. Mm. Um, but that's. So what that's I'm hearing is that you're in the flow when you're in those places 
you're in that flow of, of your, um, you know, I want to say your calling or your purpose, maybe your purpose, you're yeah. in the flow. And that maybe that's the parallel that I'm seeing today is that you're in your flow and you're writing your creative juices just sort of, it just flows out of you. It's, it's what you were meant to do. Um, I see it in your writing, you know, I think it's brilliant. And, and I, this painter, I also think his paintings are brilliant. And I see that, <clears throat> that flow. Um, and I wonder if you feel lonely in those places ever in, in that flow. Definitely. I mean, and there's a lot that wraps that can be wrapped up into that idea of loneliness as a writer. Um, I think I've mentioned in a podcast episode that you might've listened to that um, a lot of Christian writers, I, I just don't connect a lot with um, their process or their, um, you know, their books are more kind of straightforward or their books are more formulaic and not a lot of nuance. And um, so out, and these are books, you know, that sell a lot of people buy a lot of these books. So, it, you know, I feel, I think most of my loneliness as a writer, who's a Christian, it comes from that, like that with the guy told me, the editor, like, we don't yeah. know what to do with you. Just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't, and I hear him and I, I, I know he was right. And, you know, publishers have to make business decisions and, you know, what can they sell? And, um, and I even had a little tiny Twitter exchange with him recently where he, where he was like, try again, let's try again, you know, things change. So I may send him another proposal soon, but the world has um, changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do, I also think that writing for many people isn't as spiritual as I experience it. And not that that's a bad thing. I think, you know, we are all different. And um, so for me to be, I mean, it's kind of vulnerable for me to talk about the spirituality of my writing experiences, because I think a lot of people will hear that and be like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> um, although, and then some people may hear it and be like, oh my goodness, me too, I'm, you know, I'm not the only one who feels this way. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, I don't get writer's block I, and I hate to kind of admit that because I know a lot of writers struggle with that, but I could sit down anytime, any day. And I have like so many things I want to write about, you know, I just, it's like overflowing. I wish I had more brains and hands and eyes that could, you know, write all of the things that I want do you think, to write. And, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you think that, the difference between that writer's block and really having plenty to say or have that flow is that you were trusting in that versus the, you know, maybe the ego's edging in on, on, on others and creates that, oh, I, it has to be spectacular. It has to be this. Instead of just trusting that the, the flow of it, um, of your creativity, um, I don't know. Um, maybe so. And I always hesitate to, um, you know, have any kind of formulaic things, but um, I think that's part of it. Like, I know that if I write about, um, I'm trying to think of something that I would want to write about right now. Um, 
walking, you know, I've been walking a lot outside during the pandemic. And, you know, some, you know, of course, curious about walking and all these different things about walking. If I were to sit down and start writing like an essay about walking, it would be terrible. You know, I think part of it is knowing that my first draft is going to be terrible, but I have to start somewhere and I have to get it out, you know, and yeah, I'm not worried about it being spectacular. And I also know that that I'm not the only one working on this essay. And again, people <laughs> think you are way too super spiritual for this whole thing, but it's just, it's my experience. Like I'm, the spirit is a part of the equation and, um, and the spirit is always with us. So it's not like, oh, I have to wait until I'm feeling super spiritual to be able to write. Like I can feel just like a normal person without any spiritual thoughts or whatever and sit down and I still know that that God is with me in that process. And so maybe that's the message here is that spiritual is such a loaded word. It means different things to different people. It's such a broad word and and it can be off-putting or it can be soothing. It can be so many different things. But what I'm hearing is that the spiritual, the light of, of, you know, of God lives within each and every one of us, right? We're all the beloved yes. children of God. You know, I maybe even heard you say that, but that's, that's actually my mantra. Like I breathe in that I am the beloved child of God. And I've been doing that for so long that it's gone from my head to living in my heart. And when I take a deep breath in, I hear that. Mm-hmm. And I need to hear that because it's yeah. just a reminder of my belovedness because I forget. Um, yeah. and the spiritual practices for me are th- that self-remembering of going back to that reminder. And what I'm hearing is that you're living from that place. And however you want to label that is that your work is coming from that place. The painter's work is coming from that place. You know, I'd like to think that my work most of the time too, you know, we, we, we fall off and we come back, but most of the time my work comes from that place, from that light within. And, and that's, that's, I guess what I'm leading to is that, you know, and then, and then I feel like I belong in my purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think a piece of this is just valuing the process. Mm-hmm. So, and I think a lot of writers that I know don't value the process as much as they value the end product. Mm -hmm. So um, I believe, you know, a terrible first draft, a terrible essay that's never published, a beautiful essay that's never published that no one else ever sees Mm -hmm. is creating space for new work in the future. It's making me into a new person it's like even just entering into the process is transformational in ways that we aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, writing, you know, I wrote an article about um, hairstylists and loneliness about a year ago. I can't remember a couple years ago. <laughs> um, the New York Times wanted to publish it. I had an editor from the New York Times. She loved the idea. It was when loneliness, I had just started writing the book and, um, it was all over the news, you know, um, and I spent so much time on that article, like hours and hours. I was so excited to have an editor from the New York Times accept this pitch. And, um, 
we spent like eight months going back and forth and she, she was very busy and she wanted it to be more about mental illness. And I kept having to explain to her that loneliness is not mental illness. <laughs> it can be a symptom of mental illness and it's connected to mental illness, but people can be perfectly mentally healthy and still experience loneliness. And so we killed it. Like it didn't get published at the New York times. Um, and I published it on my own Substack blog and website. And, but the process of writing that piece affected so many other things, you know? So nothing's lost. Nothing is lost. And I think that's true with every area of life, you know, our pain, our um, grief, our fights with our spouses or kids or friends or the experience you, know. you had trick or treating where you felt left yes. out that, yes. that led into it's it, nothing's lost. Like that experience that you had in 2011 or I forget what year mm -hmm. you said. Yeah that plays into where you are today with this book. So yeah, so I think that that's a great message for people to not discount the learnings because they build upon, build upon, build upon and, and make us who we are. And I think that perspective has freed me mm. to do things that I probably wouldn't have done if I didn't have this perspective. Like it is freeing to know, okay, this may be terrible, and I may write, you know, spend 20 hours on this and then the New York Times will kill it because sometimes they kill articles, but it's still good work. And it may transform me like God, maybe God just needed me to go through that experience of being, you know, having a piece accepted by the New York Times and then dealing with an editor who was kind of difficult to deal with and then getting it killed so that my ego would be in check and realize, you know, it's not that great to have, you know, my life and writing vocation isn't um based on having something published in the new york times you know <laughs> that somebody else's approval of it you already right know yeah yeah what a great reminder wow um so much good stuff and um that resonates with me and and you know i i, I mean i could go on and on about it um uh, you talk about prayer you talk about uh, belonging to our places that resonated with me because I've lived in this house, my husband and I, we've raised our kids for longer than we've, I've lived anywhere. Oh, wow. Um, and the thought of leaving here at some point is, and I, I feel like I read, maybe you went back to a place where you had lived or you pick something up and, and, yeah. and to be in that yes. space. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so my husband and I bought, we lived in a tiny apartment, um, actually across the street from where we live right now um for six months and a house kind of around the corner was on the market and it was a great buy and it was um a good you know starter home uh and so we bought this house when uh after we'd been married about six or seven months and we lived there for five years and um so our first child was born there and um you know our early marriage kind of memories are all connected to that house and I you know I just wasn't very in touch with my um sense of loss yet at that point um so but that doesn't mean we don't experience loss <laughs> if we aren't in touch with it doesn't mean that we can deny it or escape it um 
so we moved to a new house and I realized I'd left all of our cleaning supplies at the old house and I didn't want to spend, you know, $150 on like a ton of new cleaning supplies. So I called the new owner and asked her if I could come pick them up. And I walked into our old house. Like it did not cross my mind that it would be any kind of an emotional thing for me. I just thought, Oh, I'm going to go pick up these cleaning supplies. And it broke me. You know, I went into the kitchen and grabbed them out from under the sink and looked out the window to the front yard. I was like, I'm never going to look out this window again. Mm. And, you know, things that I didn't think about when we were moving, I think just because moving is terrible and stressful and maybe that's why. Um, Maybe it keeps us busy so that we can. (laughs) Yeah. And I just broke down and, um, since that since that day I have been more in tune to how I'm connected to my places Mm. and not just places I live like you know I think I mentioned the botanical gardens here in Birmingham and um it's kind of like any place where there's a memory I feel pretty connected to it and there is I didn't write much about the research in the book um but there is something called place attachment and when we're connected to our places, we feel less alone. Like our actual places help us feel less alone, which is another thing I've been interested in with regard to the pandemic and people quarantining is, um, you know, we've been at home more or we've been sticking closer to home or we have our little routes. We walk in our neighborhoods more often. So I'm interested in, um, you know, has, that place attachment grown for a lot of us, you know, has that helped us attachment to the familiar? Yes. And And it has tighter now. I hear that. Yeah. And could that, you know, if we didn't have that, if that wasn't a thing, would we all be experiencing even more loneliness um, than we have been? So that's something I'm curious about. (laughs) So I hope someone will do a study on it one day. Yeah. And maybe that'll be, that someone will be you. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit, like in, in closing, um, I'm just watching the time. Um, okay. uh, what are some of the things that you, um, you know, maybe a teaser of what you recommend um, for people that are feeling lonely? Um, you know, what are some of the things that we can put in place that we could um, you know, do to help that? Yeah. Um, well, again, I never want to not help claim, <laughs> right. I'm never going to claim that I can make anyone not experience loneliness because I do think we all experience loneliness in different ways, in different seasons and depending on our circumstances. Um, and, there is this idea of core loneliness that some of us feel more deeply than others that exists all the time because we aren't where we belong ultimately. So this idea of like being separated from heaven creates a sense of loneliness. Um, so with that caveat, I picked up on that reading the book. I, I actually, yeah. it was one of my first thoughts when I started reading the book is I thought to myself, we're all longing for something. Right. And I believe we're all longing for home, for God, for that, 
that ultimate connection at the end of life where we'll be reunited. Um, you know, and that might be a lot for some people to hear, but, but yeah. when I started reading the books, exactly what I thought I was like, Oh, well, that's what we're the, the, the deep longing is for. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the other types of loneliness that. Yeah. Um, but I do think talking about our loneliness, um, decreases the amount of power it has over us. Mm. Um, when we share, um, our thoughts about loneliness or how we're experiencing loneliness and even have a conversation with someone for the first time, you know, confessing that you feel lonely. It really helps so much. I spoke at a, um, mom's conference a couple years ago when I first started writing this book and, you know, there's 30 women looking at me and I, um, I said, how many of you feel lonely? And I described loneliness because not all of us know what that is. And everyone raised their hand. Mm -hmm. And I said, how many of you have ever talked to another person about your loneliness? And no one raised their hand. And they, their faces, like, no, their eyes got big and they're just kind of staring at me. They're like, oh no, what are you going to make us do? Um, So I just think the power of speaking about it is huge and, you know, being vulnerable with someone else and, you know, making room for someone else to share their experiences of loneliness um, is super helpful, especially if we feel shame about it. Because, I mean, I think Dr. Brene Brown talks about how um, naming the things that we feel shameful about um, helps that shame dissipate. Yeah. Um, It's so right on it, like you said, and, you know, yeah. I also think we can be creative about how we belong. Like, um, you know, I mentioned in the book how reading novels helps me feel less alone. And, you know, I think we can have our radar up and like paying attention to the things that help us feel more connected to ourselves, to others and to God that might not be the typical ways that we think about you know, what it means to belong. Um, and I, I hope that my book isn't, you know, these are the 20 ways you belong to yourself, others, and God. It's more of like, this is a posture of exploring things. And I hope God gives readers ideas or shows them ways they belong that aren't even in the book. You know, I think it's kind of a way of living and paying attention. Um, I think what you're doing is that you are shining the light on a subject that's not really discussed, but we're all feeling. And I think just having the discussion or reading the book and being inspired by the stories and, and the, the creativity that you went on in, in finding a lot of the things that you talk about um, will, will create a space for people to be able to talk about it. Where I, like I said to you, you know, I've been doing this work for 20, over 20 years and, you know, teaching spirituality and, and, and being a spiritual director and companioning with people. And I hadn't really named it until I read your book. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really valuable piece. And I, I hope that it will prompt people to, to take a look at it and undress it and, um, yeah. And yeah. to talk about it, because like you said, that talking about it brings it into the light and, um, and then it makes it less, 
less burdensome and less, yeah, less um, oppressive. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I want, and I want it to be normal, you know, like <laughs> loneliness is normal. We don't have to, you know, treat it as this thing that is scary or, I mean, and it is, I'm not saying it's not scary. It can be very scary, but the more it's normalized and the more we realize this happens to everybody, um, it's, it's kind of easier to live with and you kind of notice and like, oh yeah, I am lonely right now. Why am I lonely? Um, I feel, you know, I got rejected by this author or this editor rejected an essay that was very personal and, you know, well, is that editor rejecting me as a person? No, that essay just wasn't good for that publication at that particular time. Like it's, it can kind of like when we recognize our loneliness, it can help us ask questions and figure out, you know, what the root of it is. And also maybe think of some ways that we can increase our sense of belonging. You know, maybe it's time to text a friend or, you know, um, message someone or pull out your favorite novel that that you connect with. What I'm hearing too is that the more that we recognize it and normalize it and talk about it, that we're all afflicted with it in some some different ways in some levels is that compassion can slide in. Compassion oh, yeah. for others and and you know you mentioned a couple of stories, maybe one on your podcast and one in the book that I loved. You know, one was the smiling thing at the university where, you know, if if you were lonely, you put down like a smiley face and people would come sit with you or, um, and then the other one was at the nursing homes where you had the children had the daycare at a nursing home and they were doing art together with the elderly. And I mean, I was just like, wow, that's how compassion slips in is because when we can recognize that there are lonely people in the world, you, me, and everyone else that, that we're all much more alike than unalike. And then that, that piece comes yeah. in where we can, we can love on one another a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's true across the board, regardless of anyone's faith. Um, okay. And although my book is, you know, has very strong Christian themes in it, there are a lot of chapters that don't have anything about Christianity in them. And um, an intern who worked for me, she still does a little bit of work for me. Um, she's not a Christian and she read the book. And she loved it. And I think that was like, like one of the biggest compliments I could have received was this college student who's not a Christian. Um, and I don't think she was saying it just because I was paying her. Um, she, and she said that, she's like, I'm not just saying this because I'm, because you're paying me, but she really connected with a lot of it. Um, I think because it's just true because of the human condition, you know, like the part of the human condition is that we experience loneliness and um, I'm sure she, she didn't connect with everything in the book, but there was enough in there that she did connect with because we are all alike more than we are unalike. We're more alike than we're unalike. Yeah. yeah. And you tapped into, into that, into that flow of that for, for all of us. And that's why it resonates. Um, so I wish you all, all of the, uh, all of my prayers and, and, and good luck with the book. Um, I, I love it and I, I can't wait to actually physically have it and, and read, read it cover to cover and, and um, you know, and maybe even use it in my work oh, yeah. uh, with, uh, with women because I know it resonated with me and, and typically if something resonates with me, I feel like it resonates with 
with uh, those whose lives I touch. So, so thank you yeah. for sharing your gift and, and to take the time today and, and to talk to me. And I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at talkingjoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.